Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Uh, this is the Nerds Podcast number 440. Uh, Jonah and Kyle and Katie and I are just sitting around recording intros. We're just having a goof. You just know, goofing around. It's a having lark. a good funky time. Just having a lark. Just having a good. Um, <laughs> uh, this episode is Chris Elliott. I will, before I say that though, I do want to say that uh, I'm going to be doing some stand up on the road. The road being out of town, Minneapolis, December 6th. Chicago, the Vic Theater, December 7th, and then um, the Showbox in Seattle on, the, on Friday the 13th. Uh, and then Matt Myra's going to be coming for those dates. Do you have any dates on the road, or are you done with Santa for oh, a while? Oh, I'm done with Santa for a while. <laughs> what? I, I, just, I, was const- I did like, you know, two and a half weeks in a row of traveling. Oh, are you okay? In a row, Chris. Oh, yeah. Row, Again, I, I pose my question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, it's like sometimes I know you go, you trot off for a weekend and then come back to the safety of your, of your loved ones and your house. Uh, I, uh, I had a hard time being on. And also, I'm a giant compared to you. <laughs> and also, in general. And so, flying is, uh, is a nightmare. Right. Yeah. So, I'm done for a bit for the year. Really? Uh, yeah. Why don't you just recline the seat all the way back? Oh, well, it's because uh, my seat costs about $500 less than the ones you're used to. I don't to. understand. What are you talking about? It's, a, it's like, you know, like when you stop walking and you sit down mm-hmm. and there's all those other parts of the plane? I've never looked back. Okay, well, uh, it's, it's hard <laughs> to see. There's more back there? It's hard to see through the smelly haze of coach, but... Uh, oh, yeah, I wear a mask. I thought, yeah. um, I just thought that was cargo. I didn't realize that there were... In, in, in a certain number of ways, it is. It is Cattle, cargo. you know? Yeah, like, yeah, much like it. Much like it, yeah. Yeah, like you would see in a train going yeah. across the Indian countryside. Yeah, well, what do you assume... what do you get uh, to eat when you're uh, where you sit on a plane? Oh, whatever I want, it's yeah. great. Like they'll make an omelet yeah. or they yeah. bring. It's a lot of gourmet food. Yeah, nuts if we're lucky. What nuts if we're lucky? Like a nice nut medley of, no, of no, freshly no, no. dried nuts. No, just uh, uh, it, it, what's like the process right after they just take it out of the shell of a peanut? That's pretty much what you have to <laughs> eat. <yeah. laughs> Who would ever do that? Uh, People that don't really want to travel as much as other people. (laughs) Okay, now it all comes back around. (laughs) Chris Hardwick's a dick, man. You've changed. No, I was always this way. (laughs) Uh, I've been on TV since I was 19. Come on. (laughs) Well, MTV was not like that in those days. Yeah, no, I'm sure. MTV would always buy you a coach, and then they would use other people on the channel, and they'd be like, Bill Bellamy doesn't even fly business class. I'm like, I don't give a shit. Would you please stop pitting us against each other? Yeah. Uh, This episode of the podcast was brought to you by Stamps.com. Stamps.com, holidays are coming up. You're going to be needing to mail some things. 
don't go down to the post office. This is the worst time of year to go into an already negative situation like going to the post office. Um, print out exactly the postage you need right from your desk. You can buy and print official U.S. postage using your computer and your printer. Any letter, any package, the instant you need it. And then the mail carrier picks it up because they are nice. Uh, so it's easy and convenient. There's a no-risk trial right now. Uh, when you use the promo code NERDIST, it's a $110 bonus offer, using, uh, including a digital scale and up to $55 of free postage. Don't wait! Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in NERDIST. Stamps.com, enter the promo code NERDIST. Thank you for supporting the Nerdist Podcast. Which is up, Chris Elliott! Oh my god, I fucking love Chris Elliott so much. Yeah, uh, Chris Elliott is one of my comedy heroes. And you and he showed up like an hour early for the podcast, and you guys got to hang we out. Just, yeah, we just sitting down, talking with each other like human beings. And you know what? He's a good hang. He's a good hang. And he's looking lean. He's in fucking amazing shape. Did you see him on Kimmel or uh, Letterman? He's been killing it on the talk shows. It's great. I haven't seen him on the talk show circuit yet, it's but great. He, I think he killed it on the podcast. Yeah, he did. He did indeed. Visual mediums, this is audio medium. Chris, it's, it's okay. How do you feel, uh, like, does your brain process the fact that we essentially, for the last almost four years, have met a lot of the people who are heroes to us? Yeah, it blows my mind on a constant basis. I know I, I, yeah, I know, yeah. I get those texts from you once in a while where you're like, I just don't know what to say, but this has been amazing. Like, I know yeah. I... Yeah, well, it's the way I, I describe it, and it, uh, it brings me to tears sometimes, where it's, uh, you get to meet the people that are, uh, the reason you're meeting them is because of them. Like, for, for me, it's been the case for a lot of these people where it's... Uh, You're going to tear up now, please? No, 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 no I'm not going to tear please up. Tear up a little bit. Not in front of you. Okay, think about the dog and Lost when he was swimming back to the shore. <laughs> Katie! <laughs> 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 Katie! <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, there was just collateral damage. Yeah, yeah. The sadness blast radius uh, was much wider than I had anticipated. Does your negative energy know no bounds, Chris? <laughs> no, no. But it is pretty. Um, it is pretty insane. Yeah, it, blows, yeah. it blows me away too. Yeah, basically the people that like inspired me to get into comedy, which uh, led me to meet you, which led us to start this podcast. I inspired you to get into comedy. No, 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 no. no. Sorry, before oh, that, before okay, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't process it as it's happening because if I did, I wouldn't be able to do the show. I have to process it afterwards. Yes, that's what I have. Where I'm like, hey, thanks, enjoy your burrito, everyone. Then afterwards. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, like I still freak out. I still freak out about it. Yeah, it's when weird. I'm, when I'm alone. Uh, but this is uh, Chris Elliott. Eagleheart is now in its third season on Adult Swim. It's Thursday nights. I saw four episodes last night at Cine Family, and it is by far. Um, second season of Eagleheart is amazing. This next season is off the fucking charts. It's so fucking funny and so good. It's going to be great. It's Thursdays at midnight, and that's how much I like Chris Elliott. Is I will promote that show, even though my show is also on at midnight. It's true, but. DVR. So you're saying DVR Eagleheart? Sure. What do you need, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) I need my Spanish peanuts peeled, Smithers. (laughs) Where's (laughs) Bobo? Right here, sir. And I is hot for you, sir. Right here. (laughs) <laughs> Here we go, the Nerds Podcast number 440. Sorry for the long intro, guys, but this was really fun. Uh, Nerds Podcast with Chris Elliott. Now entering Nerdist.com. Chris Elliott. 
This is wonderful to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. It's really wonderful to be here. You know, as 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 uh, as nerdy comedy people, uh, we have been fans of yours for a oh. tremendously long time. Oh, that means a lot to me. It really, it really does. It, so uh, you know, you're probably gonna we're probably gonna make you talk about stuff you've talked about a million times before. Well, I hope that's, and then I, we'll get I to Eagleheart. Okay, good. Okay, yeah, I never get tired of hearing myself talk about myself. Well, so. let's see. No, we okay. can just start uh, Eagleheart coming back November 14th, Adult Swim. Okay, great. Right. So, okay, yes. okay, that's and then, and then we'll a show that I've gushed about. Uh, on this podcast before. You have gushed about it. Yeah, yeah. Heart. That second you're, season you're gonna is... You're going to like this season. You're going to like the third. The I can't wait. You're second season, like perfect season of television. It perfect is. It, second season was perfect. Yeah. This this is more perfect. This but is... This it, is like a... Yeah, it's like one long story for the full 10 episodes, so it's like a movie told in 10 parts, and it's... it's but the show, it's way darker, and it's more... Uh, well, it's more violent, it's more, and it's funnier. <laughs> Which is hard to talk. And the thing that is really cool about it is that and that your friend Jason Wallner and Andrew Weinberg and Michael Komen were able to do is, uh, it's just as funny, and yet you actually g- give a crap about the characters in oh, it, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I think... Even season one and season two, it was sort of like, you know, okay, they're doing really funny stuff and all that, but you weren't as invested in what happens to these people. Yeah. And, and I you kind of are this I time. did in Little Dude, the Little Dude episode I yes, really Little cared Dude, about. Yeah, in yeah. certain episodes you did for sure. Yeah. But but in this, you kind of want to see, well, what what is going to happen at the yeah. end Yeah, and, and to put it in perspective, if when he's saying this new season is darker um, and more violent, in the second season, they had the moon commit suicide. Right, right. <laughs> so they pull out from a girl beating a guy that. in the face with a hammer. I couldn't watch that. that you couldn't just, watch that? No, it was too violent for me. <laughs> are you okay? Did you, you're you're right, you're right, but you just like, you don't have to. Just one second. Can't see it. I'm okay. Are you okay? Are you all right? No, no. Do you need, do you need a minute? It's, it looks like a tear, but it's actually conjunctivitis. Well, they're, okay. <laughs> but they're gushing. Welcome to the world of conjunctivitus. Oh, no, wait, now there's blood. Okay, okay. okay I, thought, you I thought you were just being <laughs> modest before, but there is actually blood. Um, you Are you okay? We should probably get you some fun. I'm fine. I, I actually I just bleed I tear blood <laughs> <laughs> I bleed tears it's yeah. really uh, Kyle is yeah. sterile uh, I don't mean he's sterile oh, really? came out wrong. <laughs> no he's not wow. that's, <laughs> that's the shame I live with uh, <laughs> that's not the bit that I was going for it's, it's them tight pants Kyle I know I, know. I was I mean, going seriously to... does that do it tight pants <laughs> I'm gonna the balls are a nightmare wasteland now. so yeah. it, it always... just it, that's you have no sperm None. at all because of tight underpants Jeans, and then jeans are really together. tight also well, on top of that. Running. And then do you wear tights before the yes, jeans? of course. Yeah. And Kyle's mom stands on his balls every night before he goes to <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like how she sings him to sleep. The first time I met Tim Burton, just to, you know, just to jump in and oh, talk about myself. <laughs> I sat there and I thought that I, I was looking at his jeans, which had at the time those tears those you know vertical or horizontal tears up and down the pants but i didn't see his legs on the other side of those tears i just saw black on the other side and my friend adam and i resonate when we left we both just said to each other was he wearing tights (laughs) and that's all it could have been was just like tights or black tights underneath these torn jeans or is he actually jack skellington and underneath there's There's just necrosis. There's just, <laughs> just dead tissue yeah. all the way down. Or just straight black tattoo. Yeah. It, could be, it could be that too. Cover up swastikas. I, like, <laughs> I, think, I think my story is a little friendlier, even though there's sure. dead sure. tissue. Sure. They balance each other out. You I don't know really that Yeah, you're a dead man walking. <laughs> it's better than being a fucking Nazi. Yeah. Former Nazi, that's why they're covered up. 
grim <laughs> view of Tim Burton. Like, really. The grim tales. Mm. Uh, can we see your Nazi legs? What? What? <laughs> What's this? What's this? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> funny. Yay. Okay. Um, oh, man. So, let's. Uh, first of all, I loved Get a Life. Oh. I love, I still, whenever I hear, our, whenever I hear Stand by R.E.M., I picture, I picture the... Uh, That's what they brought him out uh, to uh, when he was on Letterman. And it's, it's plays in my house all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just yeah. ride a bike. I can't ride a bike, though. I, I just feel like I'm, I'd look like such a dick if I got on a bike and rode it around is my small town in Connecticut. Throwing out newspapers. <laughs> and also my wife, like, is, like, always pointing out these, like, you know, retro bikes. Like, oh, that would be a perfect bike for you. And I, I and I'm, if I ever get another bike, it's going to be like a racer with me, you know, hunched over. I can't, like, you know, be on a regular old bike because that's exactly what I look like in those openings. Yeah, exactly. And, and, then, and there's Chris Elliott again trying yeah, to make yeah. us notice him. That's well. the weird weirdest thing he's like in his 50s and he's still on that stupid bike <laughs> we get it yeah we get <laughs> it oh, i'm just trying to we run. all love the show very funny <laughs> but then on the other side if you do get the racer bike then aren't people gonna be like oh why don't you just ride that old <laughs> bike that would, be, that would be totally fine yeah but i guess with a helmet and stuff and if i wear the lycra stuff and all that you know and if i really you know would they recognize me at this point or or would they just think there's only one way to find out all right now i got a project lined up let's recreate oh you should do you, you know and you could do another adult swim show and do uh do you could do the thing with uh with uh adam uh doing the redoing the sequences of old television shows oh right oh yeah, and yeah you could yeah. just redo get you could just redo that one i at, should do that as it would bring up too many dark memories yeah. so i won't do that Oh, it's the conjunctivitis? Like, Sorry, it's coming again. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah actually, so no, much now, conju- I'm, now I'm about to throw up. Uh, you have so much sadness-based <laughs> conjunctivitis. <laughs> I'm really not healthy. I've got a lot of things going on, a lot of things oozing. You look right very now. healthy, though. I ha- I'm, I'm, you know, working on it. I've got to lose another 50 pounds, and then I'll be good. <laughs> Are you doing The Machinist 2? <laughs> the sequel? I'm down to, uh, yeah, I'm like 150, I think, now, from 250. Oh, my close to God. When was that? When was 250? Uh, last Christmas, I was close to 250. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Was, so how, wait, how heavy were you um, when you were doing season two of... Uh, season two, I I had lost weight for season two. Oh, okay. Then I gained it back. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, and then and then uh, starting in January for season three, I started to try to lose weight. And then we started shooting it, and I I, I chipped a tooth, and I went to this dentist out here in your precious Hollywood, and he <laughs> thank and, you for and, calling it that. And he uh, convinced me that he should. I have caps. My front teeth are caps, and he convinced me that he should replace all my front caps because otherwise the one that he's going to fix isn't going to match and that he could do it in the amount of time that I had and uh, he put in these these horse teeth in me oh. and uh, uh I couldn't. I couldn't actually chew for like uh, the whole time we were chew solid food. So I ate like you know pudding and soup the whole time we were shooting season three, and uh, I lost like another twenty pounds doing that and just liked it. And and um, so now I just I run like seventy five miles a day. <laughs> Did you go back and go? Hey, could you put in bigger weird teeth? Yeah. So I had to go to somebody else to shave down the ones he put in. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, and then my Connecticut guy, you know, because they know how to do teeth in Connecticut. Yeah. He, he well, it's on in, the flag there, right? Good ones. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> just, that's right. It's a big it's tooth. Just, yeah. It's the wind-up chomping yeah. yeah. teeth yeah. with yeah. all the yeah. little yeah. feet uh-huh. that, 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 yeah. that bounce. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, do you feel better now than you felt? I, I do. I'm, I'm uh, you know, it's... Uh, it, it, some people like it. Like, my wife's not crazy about it. She wishes, you know, because I've thrown away a lot of clothes. or Not thrown away, but given away a lot of the clothes that I used to wear. And I saw her, like, you know, out in the garbage or the where it was going to get picked up, pulling out these clothes. And I said, why? And she said, well, because they were you. Those were memories, you know. Oh. We had memories together and stuff in those clothes. And that man is dead. Yeah. yeah. Now she's a hoarder. So that's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so where did you? I don't know. Where did I? Where, where did, did you what? start? Where, where did you? Where did you start ultimately? And were, were you writing a Letterman at the time, or were that you started yeah, doing? Uh, or yes. What, what, did you? Where, where did you start before that? Um, I was a tour guide at Rockefeller Center, and then uh, I, w- I got a job at working on a show my dad was on for PBS. Which was me as uh, I, me as a, I wasn't playing a PA. I was a PA on the show, <laughs> and uh, I was just like doing you know like photo research and stuff like that. And then I heard there was a writer strike going on, and the guy I was working for at uh, PBS had heard that there was this show that was going to start up, and uh, he put me in touch with uh, Barry Sand, who was the producer. And Barry Sand promised me one job, and I went. And that job had been taken, and uh, all that was left was a runner for like you know two hundred bucks a week, and uh, that which was less than what I was making at PBS. And, oh wow! Uh, yeah, for uh, late night, but I took the job, and then uh, you know, and then Dave like right away put me on the air as soon as he saw what I looked like. <laughs> <laughs> what was his? What was what was his sort of what was his plan? Did it play out exactly the way he wanted, or was he like, "Yeah, we'll just put you on and see see what happens"? It, it was. I think he was amused by me. It was a really small group of people late night, early on, and you could sort of impress Dave, you know. And and he you were he was accessible. So um, two things that are impossible these days. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there was definitely a period. Uh, 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 you know, at some point the show, you know, suddenly there was an assistant that you had to see to see another assistant before you could get in to see him. But uh, I can't wait to get there. <laughs> Same here. Same well, this is the first assistant. step is talking to me. <laughs> then I'll talk to a couple of assistants and get you in. But uh, um, yeah, I, I think he just saw me, you know, goofing around in the office and stuff. And I would go, Meryl Marco, who was, uh, you know, the head writer at the time, you know, uh, used me a lot to help her, you know, scout remotes. So I went out on the remotes, and um, Dave would put me on, on in those, and I would give him a joke here and there under the table. And um, I wrote a submission up, I guess, like a, two years into the the show, and they hired me as a writer. Oh wow! So yeah. When did the rival? When did the when did the guy under the stairs rivalry start? <laughs> that was like uh, you know other writers before I was a writer had written me into things where I was playing a guy you know like a panicky guy or uh, they wrote that originally or the conspiracy guy I think somebody else had had written as a response to a viewer mail thing and then uh, when I became a writer I started doing those guy characters and I think the guy into the Seats was like the third guy character I did, but that was really kind of the definitive one. It was like, you know, if it was the James Bond series, that was the Goldfinger of yeah. the guys <laughs> under the seat. That's the one that sort of defined it as uh, of what it was. Well, the younger kids wouldn't remember this now, but at the time, you know, there were essentially two, you know, there was Carson. There was pretty much just Carson. Yeah. And so Letterman really was this young upstart who it captured at least, I mean, people don't know this now because the show is super polished, but at the time, 
it, he really was producing a show that was kind of satirically a step above like public access. Right. Where it was just this cast of weirdos right. that right. broke, that, that did all the stuff that Carson, you know, because Carson was really always kind of the focal point of, yes. of that show. Yeah, but yeah. Dave really, and Carson would play the weird characters or guests would play characters, right. but right. Dave was the first time at least that I had seen, and maybe it was a convention of older television, I'm sure it was, but it was the first time that I had seen like, oh, he is this kind of like weird cast of people mm-hmm. that pop up and mm-hmm. interact with him and you know they're also the stars of the show too it's not right, just right. him well steve allen had you know when he was doing his show had you know which was way before dave had a sort of cast also but in my memory of that not that i was around but in what i saw afterwards was that the people he brought out actually were more like me they would come out and play characters as opposed to what dave was doing was like he made you know the stage manager a character or biff you know like biff became this right. guy you know and uh, or larry bud or larry bud or or you know um uh runners and whoever you know they they became these characters bill wendell was kind of a character on the show and i was i was like people knew me as a pa who wanted desperately to be famous and i come out and do these <laughs> these stupid things um but uh, um, so it, it did sort of take place before, and I, but not not in the form that Dave did, not not the way he created it. And also, you know, at the time there was no internet for your kids out there, and no other, you know, no cable. So there there was no competition for me. I could be as weird and goofy and crazy as I wanted to be, and it wasn't like, you know, somebody else was doing it first. You know, right. I. Uh, you know, nowadays it's like if something happens, I I right away go and look to if I'm going to do something with uh, you know something in the news, I have to see you know who's done it first online. Yeah, you know? right. Because uh, you know back then I could you know take a week and then do it. You know, I didn't have, I could think you know, something <laughs> yeah. through. There was no you know? race against everyone else. No, there wasn't. Kind of there wasn't. And, the biggest yeah. race I had was when SNL was you know up and running, you know, and, and they would take summers off, which I always loved, but, you know, I, I could beat, like, John Lovitz to doing a Morton Downey Jr. character. That was, like, the <laughs> that was, like, you know, the most that I had to race, you know, anybody with. Yeah, and, and did, you, did you sort of feel, when did you start to feel that The Letterman Show was actually a, a big deal? I mean, the, the, the scale was a little bit different back then because still millions of people could have watched it but you still might not have known right away. Yeah, like, no. oh, the, like the, yeah. there was definitely a certain point where Letterman was sort of like alternative. He was like, right, okay, right, so. and yeah, and then it became like an institution. <clears throat> yeah, there was an there was an anniversary show. I remember it wasn't the first one. I um, where we were on a plane and we flew down to uh, we did the show on a plane on a seven forty seven <laughs> and flew down to Miami um, and. The response in Miami, I remember there was like, you know, a lot of people at the airport when we showed up. It was really like the Beatles. Um, and <laughs> Just like, there was, you know, there was a motorcade, you know, which is really like Dallas. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it took us it took us to, you know, this. I, I mean, I back then I remember like thinking, oh, this is a huge deal down, you know, because I it never occurred to me, oh, that people in Florida would be watching us. Right. You know, and uh, I knew that people in New York were. But, you know. There were people down in the lobby, you know, huge fans, you know, there. Um, so I, I think that was like a, you know, three years into the show around that time. Was oh, Dave, wow. So you said Dave was more accessible back then. Did you did you feel like, did you sense that he liked what he was doing, or did you was he was he you know like a guy that never seemed satisfied, or was he what was the vibe? 
Oh, well, I, I definitely sense that he liked what he was doing um, and and that he never seemed satisfied. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> that's both those things are Dave. I mean, he's, uh, um, you know, he, 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 I think when he became really, really famous, there's a certain amount of, uh, you do have to protect yourself a little bit. And I, if you have a, a seed of that in your personality to begin with, then, you know, and you're in show business and suddenly you're really, really famous, I think then you really come out in yeah. that sense and, and, and become more of a, a hermit in a way or, or more of a shut-in. At what point in the show did you say, hey, I'm actually a recognizable performer and I should go off and start doing other things? I never thought I should go off and do other things. Honestly, I, did, I think I, the first part of your question, I guess, was when I uh, started you know, doing those characters, those guys under the seats and stuff like that. And, and uh, uh, I went with my wife to some movie and somebody recognized me in the movie theater. And it was like one of the first times I had been recognized. And uh, I remember her, it was one person in the movie theater, and I remember her like saying to me, I don't know if I'm going to be able to take this. And I was like, what? It was one person. Hey, um, did I go to college with you? Yeah, I'm yeah, out. I can't. I I'm sure they much. thought I was somebody else, too, you know, but uh, which ha- had happened to me before. I used to get recognized before I was ever on anything. <laughs> People, you were just, you were just, I was. You I think guy, I just had a, like, you yeah. An archetypal guy. I remember my weirdest memory is like being on a date with my uh, high school girlfriend and we were walking through the theater district around the time when people come out at intermission and we walked by some people and I remember somebody just pointing at me which was like that close to my face (laughs) and saying that guy's somebody as I walked by (laughs) and I don't know you know it was just I don't know what it was about me that I was just like yeah it was I had that thing (laughs) that guy was a he was a douchebag psychic he was a psychic but then also kind of a douchebag right right hey hey uh, uh, don't get in your car on Sunday asshole (laughs) hey fucko great fortune will become you right (laughs) fucko and his finger was always like you know like just sort of like he's telling you something and you know like he's scolding you like you're doing something like, yeah. wrong yeah exactly being you and yeah he's yeah, just letting yeah. You know he's letting yeah. you know yeah. um what well, was it uh was it was it hard to leave the show i mean was it scary to leave the i show? never felt like i was leaving i always thought like uh, okay i'll go do get a life for a little bit and then come back and you know um all those other things that i did like little movie parts and and those kind of things like in the abyss or manhunter well that was afterwards but the the things while i was still working there i kind of like looked at as things I should do so I could have panel on the show with Dave, you know, so I had something to talk about. So it always looped back to... It did, so I could, you know, tell him about my experience on The Abyss. Did it feel any different to go do panel? Like, did you feel... No, because I always made it into something, you know, into some kind of joke. I never came on, you know, and really sincerely right. plugged anything. <laughs> I always came on with so, you know, even the abyss, which backfired on me because James Cameron was there that night. I came out before him and just made fun of the abyss, <laughs> and just like you know, and I was in the abyss, but I, you know, and Dave, I introduced me and I showed like this crappy, shitty, you know, clip of Jerry Mulligan and me yeah. underwater, and 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 you know. Just yelling, help, we're in the abyss, get us out. And the, you know, the audience, you know, a plastic fish would go by. And, and they, did and uh, James Cameron have a sense of humor about it? No, this? he did not. And I did not know that. I wish somebody had told me. But apparently, some people don't. But I understand it now. I mean, I, why would he? I think that, you know, this guy, you know, who was, a, you know, not 
the nicest guy down on the set, you know, when we were shooting that. He loved me, by the way, until that night. Um, <laughs> oh, you blew it. But uh, uh, I think I was just naive, and also I just sort of thought I had been working at Late Night for, for you know, years, and I just thought, well, everybody has the same sense of humor that Dave does. Everybody makes fun of themselves, and everybody – I make fun of myself, So, and the show Late Night makes fun of itself. And if you come on Late Night – well, of course you're going to you know, be making fun of yourself. But it didn't occur to me that I came out, made fun of the abyss, and then James Cameron had to seriously come out and plug the movie that took like five years out of his life <laughs> to make. <laughs> that, you know, he had a very deep and heavy message to it and a uh, metaphor about relationships and, and, uh, and, and, world and peace. And the groundbreaking special effects. Groundbreaking like special the, effects. Oh, they yeah. animated the face in the water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and his favorite know. thing, the ocean. Yep, yeah, loves yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. My, my, uh, thing that I, I've been letting out of the bag here is that in that final sequence where we're all, you know, supposed to be, you know, watching that big alien ship come up from underneath the um, the abyss, um, we were all on this ship set, and there wasn't anything really in front of us except a flag going up a pole, and we were supposed to look at that, and then they were put in the effect afterwards. And he said to all of us, just react the way your character would. And all these other guys were reacting scared, and I remember giggling and rea- and putting my hands up to my mouth and just like and acting like it was really cool and funny and what I was doing in my head was Melinda Dillon from Close Encounters of the Third oh, Kind. Oh, right. When, you know, the big mothership comes down and her, <laughs> yeah, she yeah. gets all giddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, she knows her son is going to be running out in a second. Or I mean, it might be even when she sees him. And she's just holding her cheeks and really funny and uh, having, you know, a good time. And then Cameron yelled cut and I... I I don't know why I did. I just like thought, okay, now I'm going to get, you know, a second asshole ripped. And uh, he came up on the on the set and, and uh, you know, just kind of like came, you know, told everybody, you know, something about their reactions and then came over to me and just, and I thought, okay, this is it. And he said, good reaction, Chris. <laughs> I, away and I don't know if he knows to this day that I was doing Melinda. By the way, don't you him. ever fuck me on a talk show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a weird thing to say right now. It is funny. I, it is funny I'm when you think back. That you basically... <laughs> <laughs> he's the guy. He's the guy. He's the. He's the, he's the oh, that's really he was fun. the pointer. He was the yeah. pointer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't fuck me on a. You're gonna fuck me, and I can't stop it. I just need you to know that. But it is. It is kind of funny that you made. Fun of the movie. No, I know. On opening weekend, uh, I had just been to a, a premiere of it at Radio City Music Hall with him there the night before, and uh, but there was a guy in the green room who, you know, afterwards, you know, I came back like all giddy, and Cameron was out there, and I said to the guy, "Yeah, did he did he like the pit?" And, and he just like said, "Well, he seemed kind of grim faced while he was watching the oh, monitor." So. No. Which was kind of a scary image. Oh. So, James, so he is the abyss. You went down. The Jimmy ab- is the abyss. Is the abyss. Yeah, two and a half miles straight down. <laughs> That's what you find. <laughs> so uh, after that, I mean, listen, I think uh, uh, Groundhog Day is a, a perfect movie from top to bottom. I think it is. I do think it is one of the most perfect films. It's a great movie. Yeah, it really is. It's like, and, and it's great to like, I, I remember while we were shooting it, like being able to just to watch Bill Murray actually sort of suddenly become this actor, which I think that was the movie he did to me. You know, it's, it's, he was always funny and great in everything he was in before that, but that was the first time he was sort of a romantic lead that you took seriously. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah, that's and, true. Uh, uh, you know, it was long before Lost in Translation and, and it just seemed like, oh, this 
he's got these chops that you know I will never have or anybody you know a lot of people that I know wasn't that it was that was the first movie he did after he took like a, a break I think and went to France I think to study acting there was like a time really did he, he actually do that he, he went studied, and studied yeah yeah he went and studied and I think that's, that's like, exactly what I'm doing right now <laughs> is it really yeah. no. <laughs> <Are you> kidding? <laughs> I don't think anybody would take me on <laughs> but I think I, I think I'm not sure if I'm getting the timeline messed up but I know there was a time where he took a little bit of a break to study and to, to try and become a better actor. Uh-huh. And uh, that might have been right before. If it, yeah. Because, right, right. Because right. he, he was great. That was the first time where he was just like a fully developed guy. Except just yeah. like the funny guy. The, snark, the snarky guy. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he was still there, the snarky guy, because he was yeah. supposed to be a snarky character. You yeah. Know, but but then the, you know, the romantic lead guy. The romantic lead. Also. And then also the, uh, you know, when he's trying to uh, save the homeless guy from dying. Like, yeah. Right, right, right. Powerful scene in the middle yeah. of this really funny, yeah. quirky movie. Right. When you, when, uh. When you're shooting the movie, did you? I mean, obviously, that's one of those. That's one of those movies where you really just trust the where you just trust that Harold Ramis knows what he's doing yeah, because it's yeah. so the concept of oh, we're doing this. How's this going to cut to you know? Right. I, I think I I hadn't done well. I guess I had done a few movies, but but uh, it was really freezing. This is what I remember. It was really cold and having to do these scenes over and over again because you do any scene in a movie over and over again because you have to get it from different angles but it was that times like five you know Um, and, and you know once the angles were set up then it would you would do like you know your scenes from that angle for what you know would play in the movie you know halfway through you know instead of right next to it so if that makes any sense but I remember it being laborious and kind of tedious and you know um, cold but then you saw the movie. No, I didn't. I what? You haven't seen it, it yet? It's really good. No, no, no. You should really see no, it. Save it. Not a fan of Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it before he learned how to act. Uh, you like meatballs. that? But... Meatballs. Meatballs. Yeah. Yeah, meatballs. Uh, what are some other? What are some other besides Caddyshack? Uh, where the Buffalo Roam. Where the Buffalo Roam. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that was uh, the 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 Hunter stripes. S. Tom- yeah, stripes. Yeah. Fantastic. No, the, he's great in all those. Yeah. Were you guys pals before? Uh, no. I mean, I knew him. I had met him at Letterman, and I uh, um, auditioned for Scrooged. I remember. So we read together for that um, for the Bobcat part. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it was before I went to France and learned how to act. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was. A- <laughs> um, but uh, uh, no, and and I. It was really fun to work. I worked with him. I think I've worked with him three times. Um, the strangest experience I had with him was just shooting Cabin Boy, which his brother was in, Brian was in that, and uh, we were on a set in Santa Clarita, you know, which is, you know, well, you know where it is, and, uh, um, you know, it was late at night, and, uh, you know, we were behind and hurrying and all that, and we were on this set with a lot of smoke and stuff, and I just, like, turned to the right and just saw Bill Murray on the boat, like, (laughs) watching me shoot this scene. And uh, he hung out for an hour or so just watching it. But, uh, you know, I've always, like, thought, well, did he drive out to Santa Clarita? <laughs> just, uh, just, you know, oh, yeah, Chris is out shooting that movie, you know, and <laughs> just decided to come out and just sit and watch it for a little bit and leave. And um, 
I don't, I don't know. I, I, and in retrospect, I was kind of angry because we could have shot something with him. Because I asked him, <laughs> yeah, I asked him if he would have. Been, I asked him if he could be in. The no, movie, I don't have time. But, yeah. I just have time to go hang yeah, out over I here. I just have time to sit and watch you. Well, he just appears when he knows that you need him most. Yes, but then he yeah. doesn't help you. Yeah. He needed, he no, I actually wanted him to be uh, the giant in it. You know? oh, oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you could go back and reshoot that for a director's cut. Okay. You wanna, I'll do that. He'll, he'll do, that. do that. I'm sure he would do that. Well, I think we should do a, a boy, too. I think it should be... Uh, <laughs> it should be kept man. Yeah. Well, no, I think I'll, you know, I'll just be a producer on it. We need to recast. <laughs> you see, Cowboy, so many Cowboy's good. one of those movies where I think it'd be really fun where if you just, like, if you just had a billion, like, if you just had a shit ton of money, then mm-hmm. go, okay, you're going to make the sequel to Cabin Boy, but it's going to be an insane action movie. Right, like, right. Where you just do a complete genre departure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be pretty good. I think yeah. that'd be, I think that's that would... pretty much what it was supposed to be, too, <laughs> actually, when Tim Burton was going to direct it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, right. well, he was going to direct it. And it, it seriously it was going to be like a forty, thirty-five million dollar, you know, budget. You but know, because he was going to do a lot of special effects and and real, you know, his, the stuff that he does and all that. Um, but then he decided to do Ed Wood, Ed Wood, and and uh, what? It's one. It's Jonah's favorite it's movie. Like my favorite movie. So yeah, is, I'm really torn right now. <laughs> okay, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> Just chalk it up to my age. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we should hover in this moment for a second. No, 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 no. no. I mean, listen, you're, he's basically just telling you that Tim Burton was going to direct Cabin Boy and make it this and then huge bailed blockbuster. And then Ed he Wood. bailed to do this other movie that you seem extra excited about. Yeah. No, drinking water is yeah. not going to make it go away. He can still see you. you. So uh, you, what about Cabin Boy? Did you like Cabin Boy? Or, I told uh, you that I brought, I bought a Cabin Boy Ed, prop Ed that Wood. wasn't a Cabin Boy prop. <laughs> <laughs> what? Right, but it wasn't because you hadn't seen the movie and you didn't know that no, it wasn't in the movie. <laughs> you thought it possibly was an Ed Wood prop. <laughs> Do you have the coffin? That, no, no. Yeah. Bella's coffin is way too expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the real story is you thought you were buying an Ed Wood prop and it's like, oh, this yeah. is from Cabin Boy. Yeah. <laughs> How did I get that confused? I heard Chris showed up on set for an hour one time. I think, you know, to, I, I know Letterman caught a lot of shit for hosting the Oscars that year which by the way I thought he did a great job yeah no as a comedy fan I thought he was fantastic yeah I mean what else would you expect him to do I mean it wasn't I I guess people were thinking maybe he would do the kind of Carson thing and just sort of hover there and tell some icy cool funny jokes would you like to buy a monkey audition scene was amazing yep yep yep. and uh, Adam Resnick who directed Cabin Boy directed that whole thing so so I was uh, I was that character for Halloween no, would you like to buy a monkey? I dressed up as him and got as a, Dave. Like, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. That that Halloween. I could give a shit. So done with you. All right, I'm done with you. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Jack Lemon from Glengarry Glen Ross. All right. <laughs> Just that little bit of yeah. a. Mm. All right. Is he like is he, he's snacking on something? He goes back. Is he like chewing something? He's getting something out of his teeth or something? What? Oh, what are you talking about? No, I'm an action. <laughs> listen, France. Um, so after so after Cabin Boy, it, Jesus it, Christ, this really is uh, going into depth. Of, yeah. Uh, okay. We're walking you through the paces. Right. We've got about so the, thirty years more to get to me <laughs> right now. <laughs> So we're at Cabin Boy, and then uh, that opened and bombed, and uh, my career came to a halt. Screeching. Did you really? Did you think it did? Do you really feel it? Did? I know it did. And uh, 
Adam Resnick and I have talked about this a lot that, you know, we, it was kind of devastating. You know, the, the reviews were devastating and I didn't expect that. I thought, okay, it's, uh, you know, there were a lot of bad movies that came and went around that time. And I never thought Cabin Boy was bad, but it didn't do anything at the box office. And there were other things that kind of went under the radar doing the same thing. But our movie somehow, <laughs> you know, really angered a lot of people. <laughs> and uh, uh, we, I remember like a few months later, Adam and I uh, came up with a show, a TV idea, and we went and we pitched it um, at Fox, I think it was again. I think it was Fox. And they bought it in the room, is the saying, because they loved the idea so much. And uh, our agents were calling us and congratulating us and all that. And later on, we got a call. It turned out there was one executive who was not in that meeting, and um, she loved the idea. She heard about it, and she said, oh, great. I'm glad we bought that and all that. And then she said, now, who are these guys again? And uh, somebody said, oh, it's Adam Resnick and Chris Elliott. And she went, ooh, not those guys. Oh, no, no, not those guys. And that got back to us. And as soon as we heard that, we realized, oh, this was, this was heavy shit, <laughs> what happened to us. And it did. The phone just stopped ringing. You know? well, that's I, the- I ended up doing commercials. I ended up doing, the, sh- the shitty thing about that is that, you ended up you doing Saturday Night Live. But you, <laughs> you did SNL, yeah. Yeah, well, basically because I was out of work. I was like, yeah. you know. And also I, I was always going to go there when I was younger. But, you know, that time had sort of passed, I think. You know, it was uh, – and uh, – but, yeah, I got – they offered it to the, me. That, that's sort of the shitty thing is that you you haven't changed. The rest of the world has sort of changed where – you, you sort of feel like, oh, these, you know, they're comedy bits. They're disposable. If they work, they work. If they don't work, we try something else, and it's not a big deal. But then right. they have someone go, this one thing you did is going to determine your fate. Yeah, yeah. No, like, I, I mean, it really kind of did, and, and it it hung over us. I think we're both sort of psychologically scarred by it. We've we've sort of never really worked together since. He's my best friend, and we talk all the time, and we he consults on Eagleheart, and... Uh, um, we'll we'll play around on, and and all that kind of stuff, but we've never really uh, tried to uh, you know do a project together. Again. Boy Two, directed by Ridley Scott. There you go. I'm you just got saying, it. Jimmy Cameron. <laughs> Jimmy Cameron. <laughs> it's got oh, water. Jimmy it's Cameron. got water. Yeah, you might have lost him. I don't it's know. It's got water. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, get Jimmy. It's got water. Yeah. It's got water. Oh, wait, wait, wait. And salt, cre- water? S- salt water. Salt oh, water. Does it sound pretty good? Creatures. <laughs> <Yeah>. Creatures. <laughs> Sounds good to Jimmy Cam. The ocean is a treasure chest <laughs> that needs to be explored. Um, well, then, is it, did you when when Abby started doing SNL? Was there any sort of a, a passing of the? Uh, no, I shouldn't have passed her anything. <laughs> SNL. Went, I don't know if you saw the year I was there. Um, that I was, was crazy. Uh, that was a weird year. That was. Like, it was a weird year. It was yeah, a bunch of one season people. That yeah. Year. No, there was like fifty cast members, and yeah. they was were that all... the Keckner year. No, that was right before the Kegner. No, that was right before. Yeah. Garofalo, Garofalo, Sarah. I'm just going to repeat everything. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and laugh when you laugh. <laughs> a really young Sarah Silverman. Like a, like she a, had like just a... Sarah just left. Oh, she wasn't okay. there the oh, year okay. I was there. They brought in Janine Garofalo. They brought in me. Um, but all those uh, the the guys that had been there for a while were still there. Adam Sandler was still there. David Spade was still there. Chris Farley was still there. There was no reason to bring it in yeah. me or or anybody else really. There there was a full cast already there and we weren't starting as you know you know uh i don't know what they call them now but you don't start as a feature. full cast feature player yeah. um we just they brought us on as cast members and so there was just this long list of cast members right from the start and you know 
you had to wait to get on TV. You know, when the show was on the air, I didn't get on usually till like five to one. You know, and I was half asleep by the time I had to go out and <laughs> do my little Wizard of Oz sketch or whatever I was in. Um, but uh, no, it wasn't a good year for me, and I went way too late. I went. Uh, I should have gone. Everybody was really nice there, and and uh, but I should have gone when I was younger. You know, when I. Uh, um, but you know. What can you do? You're like blowing my head off right now. (laughs) Well, that that was crazy because it was, um, you know, as like a comedy fan, I remember everyone that was pretty much higher that year was already recognizable. Uh, yeah. Comedy people, yeah. Like you, I think Mark McKinney joined that year. Mark joined. Kevin Nealon was still there, or yeah. what had been there. Yeah. yeah, everyone they hired was like someone that they. What is that? Someone's. I think it's your phone. It's not yeah. my phone. It came from your butt. Oh, it sure did. My butt activated Siri. <laughs> not now, princess. <laughs> butt activated Siri. <laughs> New. <Yeah. laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, they did that. I feel like they did that 10 years prior when they did that, uh, or almost 10 years prior when they did that season with Robert Downey Jr. and like. Yeah, um, that was the year. And Randy Quaid. That was the year that I almost went. And oh, no had, way. And I was offered featured player that year. And uh, I turned it down only because. It seemed like, well, no, Dave is giving me that already. I think you dodged the bullet that year. Yeah, yeah. Because that that was was kind of a, that was, I remember the press around that where it was a little like, yeesh, you know, because they hired essentially, they they hired not not specifically comedy people, like, oh, funny actors. Randy Quaid. Yeah, yeah, people that were somewhat recognizable, but funny actors, and they sort of, you know, that was like their departure from actual Second City people. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. More, but the, like, instead of doing SNL that year, like, wasn't it shortly after that you got to do those specials? Uh, like, like when did Action Family? When was that? Nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, close. Oh, so, yeah. No, it was that was that was when I was at Letterman. Those were in the eighties. Okay. I did that yeah. No, I after. Uh, after I've got a lot of stories that end with, and my, my career came to a screeching halt after that. So, but it didn't because you're still here. Yeah, I'm still kicking, still plugging away. I'm going to come up aces one of these days. Um, no, I I don't, can't re- really remember what I did after uh, uh, Saturday Night Live. I know I cried a lot, and I went home and just you know I I guess I just I think I, honestly I think Saturday Night Live I started thinking it kind of knocked the developing something for myself out of my system although I did do I think a pilot after that um, which was the thing you have the the Pro. painting from yeah. yeah which is Meet the Elliots you've reached the Elliots you've that's the, the one Elliots. that Abby auditioned to I, we, I took her to the network to play my daughter in it and they didn't quite see it <laughs> so she <laughs> she ended up playing they cast another woman to, girl to play my daughter and Abby played my daughter's best friend oh, in, oh, sure. in the pilot sure yeah do you remember that uh, that prop I bought from San Diego yeah. Comic Con years ago yeah. yeah yeah so it's uh turns out not from Cabin Boy but from you've reached the Elliots right well it's funny from I, I, pilot. Didn't, I didn't I yeah. you know initially when, when Abby first popped up on SNL I just didn't make the connection I just didn't make the connection because in my head like you weren't old enough to have a grown up adult daughter who could go be well she was very young she was 20 I guess when she started at SNL I was 20 when I started at Letterman um, when he hired me and I got married when I was 25 26 I guess and Abby was no Abby was born when I was 26 oh wow Uh, yeah that's fantastic yep and then Bridie when I was 30 so then, uh, in the two thousands, what was sort of what was sort of the plan? Like when you when you sort of felt, you know, you you say, oh, I, I, everything feels like I end every time, but then you keep coming back and you keep doing stuff and you keep like you you yeah. are 
you are successful. Like you know that. You are you making I think I have I have like a uh, like you said just this this sort of even thing of just like always working and my dad always had that. You know, he's he was in the business and um, he had highs and lows, you know, where he was working more than he was uh, you know, some other times and I'm sort of like that, but he was always working in some way. You know, there was something going on. There was never a year where he just didn't work. Um, and I've come close to that, but but I'm, I always seem to do something, have some sort of project. Well, that's but I think that's an important lesson. I started writing these books too. Which you but go writing. on. Yeah. Well, I was just saying I think it's an important lesson for for our performers and for people who you know because in a moment where you lose something, it can be devastating, and you can be like, it's never gonna, everything's yeah. all. But even being faced with the business saying, you know, ooh, not those guys, that you still after that still made it work. Right. Well, that's nice to hear. I think that is it, it should be inspiring to people, though, that, you know, you I, I, and I think I don't know if there's a trick to it. I think the thing is, I never like I wasn't a leading man. So it wasn't like I had to worry about what I was going to look like when I'm my age now. Yeah. <laughs> and I had lost already lost my hair in second grade. So that wasn't I wasn't worried <laughs> about that. So it, 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 I think for some actors, that probably is traumatic if they're known for one thing for five years and then suddenly they start to, you know, change and the, tra- the transformation starts and they, they aren't necessarily great actors and they can't make that move into something else. And those are the guys that you hear, you know, giving it up or saying forget it and, you know, and opening some other business and getting out of it. I mean, somebody like me, I mean, I don't, I honestly, there's nothing else I could do. What else would I do? No, but I just I think mean, it's important. I think it's important that people realize that you know that as long as you just keep just keep at it, keep making stuff, keep doing, keep putting your voice in the world. That you know that that one executive stopped that show from happening. Right. But you know she might not be there six right. months oh, later. Absolutely. There would be new people. Or absolutely. Something. The business really can have a very short memory when it comes. Like as long as you're producing content regularly. Right. Right. You really are. You know, like. You, you really are worth what your I mean at least as far as the business like what your most recent piece of thing is yeah. your, the content that you're making so it's never really you know you I think you'd really have to murder someone on camera right, uh, right. for them to go okay it's probably not gonna and even then right. you'd probably get a reality show right so, well, no, well, I'm gonna do that just to plug Eagleheart oh that's a good just idea to, yeah yeah that's, that's gonna idea. be my that's gonna be that's my Justin thing. Bieber stealing yeah. a bike it's that's me a, that's, that's a great idea <laughs> me murdering somebody and you know being accused of it um, and then the trial the whole and then, trial, yeah. and then hopefully getting cleared. I don't yeah, want to go to yeah, jail. No, 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 no. You want it to be enough of a, <laughs> right, of right. a publicity stunt, right, 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 um, so that you know, like in your defense, you can keep you know, like plugging. Well, in Eagleheart, we right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. I was wrapped it's, up in my character, right? And, I, I, and then it's the Eagleheart defense is what they would, <laughs> would start to be. The thing. That's what would come out of the trial. Not since the Twinkie yeah. has a product. <laughs> did you ever work? Did you ever work on any any reality stuff, or did you ever pitch any reality stuff? No, I've never done that. I I just uh, uh, I, I wouldn't. I, I watch a lot of it, but I would I would hate doing something like that. What kind of stuff do you watch? Well, I actually watch. It's not really reality stuff. I'm, well, it's Honey Boo Boo. But uh, what I watch, <laughs> what I watch is mostly. Uh, uh, I, I watch a lot of cooking stuff. A lot of uh, my wife and I like architecture. We watch a lot of you know some some uh, home shows and HGTV. So, yes, yes. It's the network made for couples. Yeah, I know, I know that and Downton Abbey. But uh, um, yeah, we watch a lot of that, and then I watch a lot of those you know um, uh, just terrible you know things about. 
death and documentaries about that kind of stuff like on, History on HBO. Oh, and right, HBO right, right. just has a lot of really depressing That's all documentaries that are fun to watch. Yeah. And do you feel yeah. like that sort of feeds the kind of creative thing in you? And is that is that you know is that sort of do you feel like that feeds the dark humor? I do. Is that, do I like do. That is that sick? I, no, I really do. That's I mean, great. I, I, you know, all those, uh, you know, at 48 hours, you know, anything, you know, any kind of crime thing, you know, I, I, it does. It does feel like fuel in some way. I don't know where it gets stored. I don't know. I think it's like a subconscious kind of thing. But I was always drawn to that stuff. I always thought that my character was always sort of a psycho anyway, you know, and it was kind of loosely based if it was based on anything, my persona on um, the psycho from um, Dirty Harry, uh, <laughs> that guy, you know, I always and TV psychos, you know, from the 70s, which you guys wouldn't know. But like in. Oh, I remember. Well, like Mannix. So there was yes. always like some freako who overacted and, you know, squinted his eyes or. Did I'm not going really back weird. to the joint Mannix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That and that guy. was always sort of that's what I sort of patterned yeah, my. That, that was a, that was a, that was an interesting era of television where it was they gave everyone cop shows. Yeah, it was like. Um, uh, uh, Mannix and, and Dennis Weaver had one where right. he was a cowboy and then he went to the city and <laughs> yeah. then fucking uh, um, oh, and then Columbo and right well it was like the Hawaii Five O, the original you know period also and just yeah, uh, yeah everybody had oh there's Long Ironside and Long Street Streets uh, of San Francisco Streets of San Francisco yeah yeah that all had the best theme songs of any, they did. Of yeah, any yeah, television yeah. show. Yeah. But it was. It was like you were, you, were, you were in the 70s. If you were doing dramatic television, you were either playing a cop or a criminal. Right, right, right. And uh, I and those were the shows I watched. It was Quinn Martin Productions. Qu- did a all Quinn those. Martin yeah, production. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Episode three. And that's what they have <laughs> coming back from a commercial break. Like that, that, that was all the stuff that uh, Police Squad was essentially. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but it was uh, kind of not to, I mean, it was before Police Squad. Action Family was kind of based on that. That's a uh, special I did on, on uh, Cinemax when, before yes. you were born. Um, that uh, <laughs> uh, was kind of based on Quinn Martin Productions. And some of the characters I did on Letterman, I used to like just put up the, you know, this has been a Quinn Martin production. <laughs> you know, after, I did, after I did it, you know, walked on. Could you tell everybody something. about because like action, myself? Yeah, yeah, just a little bit more. Um, uh, no, the Action Family, which was uh, you know for like comedy fans when I was coming up, it was like you know I got a tape. It was one of those things where it's like it's a tape full of all these different things. And one of the things on the tape I got was Action Family. Yeah, when I was growing up, and actually was I was just in a Lost Week in video in San Francisco, and they actually have it in the case and everything. Yeah, it did come out actually. Yeah, on tape for yeah. a while, but it was it was a a show they. Uh, Rick Newman produced it, who did was the guy who had the comet uh, Catch a Rising Star in New York, um, and was a friend. He was a really good person for comedians in New York, and uh, um, they gave you a certain amount of money, not much, and you could do most of what he produced was stand-up comedians. And when I did it, I decided to try to do something different, and um, I literally came up with the idea just before I sat down with him, and it was to combine like a '70s police show with. A 70s sitcom and so part of it would be like this gritty Mannix kind of show you know combined with sort of a Partridge family Brady Bunch kind of show on the other side and I'd go back and forth between video and film you know and and, uh, so it was like two shows in one yeah it was great I remember because you know you watch the opening of it it's like a cop show on film but right when he walks into his house it's like 
video and there's a laugh track and it's just mm-hmm. a family sitcom you know shot from one side it was it was really yeah great. and all of that grew out of late night that was all late night sort of sensibility and even yeah. making fun of the soundtrack which uh, the laugh track which we did which yeah. you know i think has been a joke that's was done again over and over again um but you know like having somebody having a, a coughing fit on the laugh track yeah you know <laughs> having two people you know we had two people getting into an argument on the laugh track <laughs> yeah. and just and just like whispering that was such a funny line you know and, and then and then just going crazy applauding at the stupidest joke and everybody stopping yeah. and taking a bow and then going back you know but that was all like sort of the breaking the fourth wall stuff that you know uh, I think Dave sort of you know started yeah. well getting it's it's getting as granular as possible yeah. across every single like is I, I I knew a guy who wrote uh, with um, the Zuckers uh-huh. on who wrote, he wrote some of the Police Squad episodes yeah. and he said yeah. you know they would just watch so much footage of these old shows and just every place like oh that's a thing that they do a lot so we should right. go for it. it's right. just finding any little molecule of an idea that right. they could right. then they right. could then satirize yeah, yeah yeah and in a way Eagleheart like sort of started that way to a degree yeah. without the kind of Zucker sight gag aspect of it you know it it started as a bit of a parody of Walker Texas Ranger but that only in its really Inception, and and then it then it suddenly evolved into this very surreal um, thing where we're still cops, we're still these marshals, and it still kind of looks like a TV show that would be a cop show, but then it just goes in these other directions completely. Yeah, the hobo episode. Yeah, the blues yeah. episode is one of my blues favorites, episodes. which had uh, Hank from uh, uh, Breaking Bad. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, he was in that episode. Yeah. Well, yeah. what's what's really? Uh, I know, I saw it. I, was saying, <laughs> I don't know. You said you no, didn't you're watch looking at me. And you're just saying, yeah, he, he was in that. Episode. Opening up the gates, just so you know. I'm just trying to bring you in. <laughs> um, <laughs> really? Who else was in that episode? Was Chris Elliott in that episode? <laughs> I don't know if I saw. I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. I don't, no, I didn't see it. Yeah. You were looking yeah. at Dean. You were looking yeah. at Dean. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but I um I think that's what's so interesting about where television has gone now is you know when there were four channels. The show itself had to contextualize the comedy, but the fact that you're on Adult Swim, mm-hmm. you could make the show as serious as possible. You could make the show just a complete straight uh, Walker Texas Ranger. You could just make that show for real, right? But contextualize within Adult Swim, people would be like, "Oh my God, this is fuck!" Like, yeah. that's really interesting because I sort of think that's the state of comedy in general. I think you could actually take a play from the 1920s and cast it with really funny actors from now and put it on Broadway in a, a drama and put it on Broadway and it would be a really funny play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, just from the the way it's written back then and who is in it, you know, just hearing somebody, you know, saying those lines. It's funny. It's funny. That's just, that's, it's almost like, it's almost like this anachronistic um, context that isn't activated until it's in another time yeah. and in another setting that it, it just lights up all these other jokes that you never would have seen. Right, right. Back, you know, at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. just juxtaposition. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. That, that to me is a really interesting way to, to present, you know, comedy is changing, you know, is just changing one element like that. Well, it's, yeah. it's real conceptual. It's almost performance art in a way, which I always hated. The, <laughs> it, it is the, if people don't laugh. Hated the concept <laughs> of it, you know. Yeah, exactly. People, laugh people are bored art. and puzzled, then it's performance it's art. performance art, you guys. Yeah. Um, you don't get it. Yeah. But it's like the, the perfect incarnation of performance art, or the way performance art should be, you know, in right. a way, what's going on, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But, uh, um, yeah, it's, and I think it's smart without, I mean... It's almost like people don't realize how smart they are laughing at the stuff on Adult Swim now. You know, it's like that. It's it's 
it's I think it's the perfect place for me to be working now. It's almost like I am alive right now in the best time for comedy, yeah, <laughs> for yeah. my style of comedy. Um, and the 80s actually probably wasn't, you know, but, uh, um, and certainly not when Get a Life was on the air. Yeah, <laughs> but you're not pretty but you much not. baffled most people. But, I, you know, I think nowadays... I certainly could do get a life on Adult Swim, for but the, sure. but there's yeah. a but there's a certain there's a certain style of comedy which you may or may not realize that you are probably the father of. Like wow. all the people in the '80s who grew up watching all that sort of like uh, offbeat, sort of weird referential, self-referential humor, yeah. And, yeah. and sort of like that kind of deconstructy stuff. A lot of that can be traced back to you, oh, that's and nice a lot of those young people yeah. who would then go on. To create shows for Adult Swim and do alternative comedy, it's like that's that's where a lot of that came from. Right. Well, that's really nice to hear. And and if that's true, I, that's I I've I've done my job and <laughs> I can pretty much go to sleep now for the rest of my life. <laughs> what are you um, taking those pills? Uh, sh- <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Um, thank you. This is my swan song. This podcast. <laughs> my la- mission accomplished. Mission he died out. of conjunctivitis. Oh, okay. oh and the pills. I, and the actually, pills. Yeah, I would. Say that Dave Letterman is actually the one who even he I mean he's the guy who influenced me and let me do what I was doing back then and develop it and he did say to me um, you know once in he very rarely gave me any advice but one of the bits that he gave me was don't change anything you're doing just keep doing what you're doing like you were saying before you know if you just keep doing it eventually people will catch on that oh we got to watch this you know yeah. and uh, um, he did give me that advice and I think I've with the exception of you know basically not turning down any job that's offered to me I think I've sort of <laughs> stuck to, to what I do um, and but Dave is the one who influenced me and he I think I don't I think there's a lot of people out there that don't realize how they've been influenced by Dave you know that it's just it's so many generations away from that now um, that they're they're not even aware that what they're doing is Dave you know? and, and, and much in the sense that you know like Dave has roots in Steve Allen and yes Steve exactly. had roots in whoever he right, had right, roots right. in but it does it does trickle down because you know all the people who were you know 13 to 18 in that time period then then that sort of solidified oh this is part of the comedy voice that they're going to right. re-express right. when they get into their 20s and 30s yeah and then a whole and then a generation behind those people doesn't realize that they're seeing someone essentially do a, uh, an expression of Letterman or you right and and sort of maybe not realizing because you know a lot of people know Letterman now for right I mean he's a yeah, he's he's just not he's not the same as he was back right, then. Right. No, um, exactly. That's exactly true. And I also think that those guys, maybe some that were influenced by me when they were younger, have taken it to degrees that I could never take it to. Even back when I was younger, or certainly now. I mean, I even sat. I've sat in on you know writers' meetings at, for Eagleheart and just like had to like you know just like bow out it <laughs> just like oh fellas i you know i know it's going to be funny but and i trust you and i i know w- what you're doing here but it's over my head you know oh, it's wow. like almost beyond what i can you know conceptualize or but you trust with. you trust that they know what totally doing. trust them because they were huge fans of mine and uh, I, that's why I did the show in the first place was because we were all sort of from the same pool of comedy. You know, Andrew and Michael had worked for Conan and uh, um, Jason had done Human Giant. And there was this sort of, I don't know, we all had the same sense of humor. It's just their sort of conceptualizing um, is brilliant to me. I don't think my stuff was ever brilliant. I think my stuff was always 
self-serving and that was the if there was anything unique about it it was that you know that it was always chris elliott doing this you know it was i was never really i never showed anybody really who i am i was always playing chris elliott and uh um and i never showed anybody a real character you know um uh but these guys you know conceptually i think have taken you know that what i did and and maybe and have gone to places i could never go yeah, I mean, it just, you know, it, at that time in the 80s, you're, I mean, I, I was a weird kid because I was a huge, I was a huge comedy. Geek. You were a kid in the 80s? I was a kid. Yeah, okay. was, well, I was a kid. No, I mean, you look really young. I mean, so I'm like, when you in, say a kid. I was born in 71. So, Jesus Christ. So, I, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, but then you yeah. do the, you do the podcast and you do, mm-hmm. you, got, yeah. you got the other thing. Yeah, there's some, uh, but it, but in the 80s, in the 80s, I was exactly. That's the, good. It's terrific. You're doing great. <laughs> No, I am. I don't, I'm really. It's great. Is it not okay? No, no, no. Keep plugging away. Oh God, damn it! Yeah. Is it too late? Gonna come up, aces. Oh shit! Aces, here we go. Just, uh, <laughs> had a real rough night with the ponies tonight. <laughs> Even if I'm throwing dice, I just, just refer to uh, them as the just ponies. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Just keep doing this. what you're doing. People will catch on. I need this so bad. But I was exactly the right age in the '80s. Like, I mean, again, I was a huge comedy geek, so I I loved Carson. Yeah. But I know a lot of people of. of my generation like Carson was for your parents and Letterman was for right. us right you know, like Letterman right. was for the like he spoke to the to the younger to the younger generation yeah. not not that he's you know not that I think you know when I say he's different now it's not that I think it's better or worse I just think it's just different he just he matured when he moved to CBS he yeah we became a different you absolutely know, like he absolutely. became a different guy he became less of the rabble rouser and more of the institution right and I and he yeah, exactly he became the icon that Carson was when he started you know and he is the person that all these guys pattern themselves after and they all admit it and they all have given him great credit for it um, but uh, yeah it, it, it was just a natural change and a change you know for him he couldn't do what he was doing at uh, NBC when it became Late Show you know it, it had to mature a little bit and he because he was maturing yeah also I you know I'm surprised that I can still you know take off clothes and dance around on Jimmy Kimmel's show right now you know at my <laughs> age you know I maybe I shouldn't be doing that but I'm still doing that and and uh but they'll reach a time where you know maybe I shouldn't be doing that stuff too. But uh, keep on getting fit. Drop that other fifty. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I got to start running again. You know, <laughs> in about twenty minutes. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think like uh, I, Jimmy Kimmel was like uh, a huge, huge uh, late night fan, and uh, I don't, I, they everybody like brings like something. All these guys, Fallon does. He's great, and uh, Conan is great. They all bring something different to the table, um, but it's all it, it all goes leads back to Dave, and and they and like I said, they would all admit that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. When you say that, um, when you say that, oh, the character of Chris Elliott is different than you just in your life. What do you think is the biggest difference? What's the biggest disparity between those two? I'm even more of an asshole in my real life than I am on TV. <laughs> Come um, on, I don't know. I, I guess it's just it's it was always a. I think it goes back to Dave introducing me as, you know, staff member Chris Elliott and I come out and do something fake, but I was still called Chris Elliott, you know. So whenever I was recognized on the street, it was never, hey, that's that guy who plays Larry on blah, blah, blah. It was always, hey, Chris Elliott, you know. Right. So that, um, I think, is why it started, it developed into a character. I don't know what the difference is, except 
Um, I, I'm that person persona is a little more psychotic. Like I was saying, it's a little more, you know, uh, more of a psychopath than I am in real life. So you would watch an architecture show. The character of Chris Elliott would watch an architecture show thinking that he should do one to get famous and would try to learn architecture yes, and then do it exactly. Poorly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. He'd start his own, this old house show and, <laughs> and without knowing what to do and all that. And, and, and then that character kind of developed into like when I did get a life, it sort of, I took that guy and he kind of became the sitcom star but I still in the back of my mind was thinking I'm playing Chris Elliott playing Chris Peterson you know and that's why you know whenever I develop anything you know I'm usually always at least Chris you know? <laughs> <laughs> Chris Monsanto in Eagleheart yeah. you know, so. that's one of the that's, that's, that's the running gag now yeah. you have to you always yeah. have to be that guy yeah absolutely I mean that it's like the beard I have to have the beard I've you know I've trimmed it down as much as I can and then I go no I should I should keep it. That's who I am. You think it would That's rattle people my... too? You think it would rattle people too much? It would rattle me quite a bit. <laughs> would, um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm just I'm not um, I'm not as much of an actor as people sort of might think I am. I I am. I started as a writer and then became this actor. Um, Steve O'Donnell, who was the head writer once in an article, said that I was. Like the only writer on the show, other writers would do things on the show, but I was the only writer who actually could act. So I all I think I always combined those two things, you know, and uh, I always come at something from sort of a writer's standpoint as opposed to an actor's standpoint. Does it, does that get you in trouble sometimes when you? If you're not thinking about, well, the performance of this has to support the writing of this, right. or, the, or we can't, that's a funny idea to, in the writer's room, but then how do we express that as a performance? It does. It's, and it gets in, you know, where it gets in the way is when I'm doing somebody else's material, because then I want to either paraphrase, rewrite, or punch up. You know, <laughs> and, they don't always want that. And they don't always want that. And they, you know, um, especially like, I mean, some people do. Some people like get asked me to do that, you know, and asked me to bring my own sort of thing to it, which is always great, and I'm always the most comfortable with that. But uh, I, went, I actually auditioned for a play not long ago and did not get it, but not for this reason, but I worked really hard on it. And one thing, I, I talked to a bunch of people, and they said, well, authors of plays, they want you to do their words. <laughs> There's <laughs> one had, thing we can say about yeah, plays. <laughs> that never really occurred to me. That Yeah, you don't see people paraphrasing Death of a Salesman. If, yes, you if, don't you're, see, if, you're, if you're interviewing some Broadway actor, you don't be like, so how much riffing do you guys yeah, do? Yeah, how much of you is in this yeah, character? Yeah, yeah. How much, how much is, of yeah, them let you go off the page? How much you guys play around yeah. up yeah. there? <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, and that actually was a challenge, was just to like memorize a monologue without even putting in a Jack Lemon stutter, you know? Right. And I'm actually amazed, you know, when you look at, old, uh, like, somebody like Cary Grant, this is going way back, um, you know, who always added, seemed to add lines, you know, and that was his thing, you know, like he, somebody a woman, uh, would have another line like, you know, oh, I can't do that, and he would go, no, 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 you can't do that, no, 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 under his breath. That was, wasn't really a line, yeah. but it was his way of sort of reacting and acting And then they, they would sort of dissolve out and of that. And they would that, dissolve like, out As of he would go, no, no, yeah, no, you no, can't no, do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't want that. No, 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 no you wouldn't no, want no, that. No, no, no. Writers are flipping through the script going, it's not in there. We'll just dissolve over it. But I mean, that's, you can't do that, you know, and I certainly can't. And, uh, um, that is a, that is a challenge for me, you know. Actually, to uh, 
you, you know, on, on Eagle Heart, these guys know that I barely memorize the lines as it is. So, you know, if they're lucky, if half of the joke gets out the way it's supposed to be. But, but that's only is, because I'm not memorizing. I mean, the good news is that you can you can do you have the freedom to do that. And there are people in the world like, you know, the Woody Allens of the world who are mm-hmm. like, yeah, here's the gist. Just get to it however you want to get to right, it. And right. And, you know, like that'll be the best. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm more in that camp of like. I don't know how to necessarily write for other people's voices. Yes. They're like, okay, yeah. well, this is the idea. Yeah. You know how to get that. You know how to do what you do. Right, right. You get there, and right. then we'll all... Then it's, yeah. Then it's more of, you know... Then it's kind of fun, because it's a little more of like uh, like a little bit of a, of a chamber orchestra, where everyone's kind of bringing their own thing, rather than one person going, you have to... This is, you right. know... Yeah. So you're saying comedy is your music. <laughs> that's really beautiful. <laughs> I didn't say that. No, that's what I heard. No. That's what I heard. Can we write I that down? Can we write that for Chris real I mean, quick? to me, comedy, uh, it's the music of... It's, oh, also, your lucky numbers is 79, 42, and 37, you cock. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, that did come out that way. No, it did. No, it did. Yeah. Well, because your voice got kind of sensitive for a, little, yeah. for a second. And you know, it was guys, just like you were you talking know, about jazz. I mean, it, it's ooh, really that com- jazz. I mean, comedy. I don't want to make this sound bigger than it is, but I really feel like comedy is the harmony that keeps all the planets <laughs> in stasis. I only it think keeps, it's some of the planets. Uh, this is a terrible thing on. to do because I'm, I'm talking about another comedian, but um, the reason I said that was uh, the, the first time, uh, remember Comic Relief? Remember those yes. shows on? Um, the first time they did that, uh, it, was, it came right after and it's a, a really good cause and it came right after Feed the World that whole uh, mm-hmm. that song yeah um, and uh, it was going to be the special to raise money and, and um, with comedians and Billy Crystal was producing it he was one of the hosts of it and he called Dave to be to do it and uh, Dave was just questioning, well, you know, how, how does this work? And, and he said, well, it's like that Feed the World, you know, song. And, he, and I remember Dave, like, saying, yeah, but that was a song. What are, what are we all doing? And Billy Crystal saying, well, let your comedy be your song. <laughs> I've never sort of forgotten about that phrase. So I just kind of said that. You did. Just, yeah, yeah. You're very <sighs> Billy Crystal. You know, to be fair, Billy, Billy, Crystal's Crystal background, Billy Crystal's family background was music, jazz music. Yes. So I can understand. Yes. I have no excuse. I was just being a twat. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. So. There was no real. I don't have a justification for it. No, and it, but it made me think. It got me thinking. Just like you know, language has a music of its own. It does. That's really what you were saying. You know, wasn't it? Just comedians. That. Comedians are like dolphins in the sea in a dance that they're not even aware they're in, but in perfect harmony with one another. Yeah. And that's where James Cameron comes in. Right. <laughs> so we're talking about salt water? Yeah. And creatures. creatures. Yeah. And creatures? Like Jimmy Cam is in. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Is there some kind of sunken thing down there that I can get, get my business in yeah. on? <laughs> He's in my he, really, he really did get ah. into submersible and go to the ocean floor. He did. He did. It was, it was kind of I know. A, I'm, and didn't he went down to the Titanic. Yeah, he went down to the yeah, real yeah, Titanic, yeah. right? And t- yeah. just went down to... Yeah. Why did he do that? I don't get that. <laughs> he made a movie with lots of special effects with the Titanic underwater. Why did he have to go then do a National Geographic thing Just where so he could go down there and be like, go down? Yeah, I nailed it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> I got it. Yep. Yep. Hey, that's the safe. That's the yeah, yeah. safe. He was yeah. kind of nuts. He actually thought the safe had the little jewelry in it, in yeah. the actual real Titanic. Yeah. yeah. No, you and made that, that little up. drawing. Yep. Of, yeah. He actually found that drawing down, down in the Titanic. Yeah. 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 Planted. And then the body of someone who looked like DiCaprio, uh, still <laughs> yeah. very well preserved yeah. uh, down there, just, just holding on. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's more of the, I can do this because, you know, right. like, right. It's, I think that's... But I th- didn't he, after he did that, didn't he also, like, break a world's record for depth going in a one-man sub 
submersible somewhere. That's what he like was doing to when the he was, abyss or yeah, something. He was trying to like kill time while the technology of, for Avatar was being developed, and so he just started trying to go as deep as he could. Right. Yeah. Right. But he did. He broke some yeah. world record. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then and right before he went down, yeah. someone said, two and a half miles, straight down. And then they waited, they held for him to laugh, and he didn't laugh. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Didn't have a right. sense of humor about it. Yeah. I think it was that funny. Yeah. Yeah, I guess in retrospect, he really has done some pretty fucking amazing <laughs> yeah. Two billion dollar movies, whatnot. Yeah. Fuck them. Uh, yeah. But in the fuck, sense. Fuck them um, all. Fuck everyone. <laughs> Don't need them. What? Don't no, need them. No, nobody? Nope. I got, <laughs> I got the pills. Something in your teeth? <laughs> Done with my career. <laughs> I've influenced some people. Yeah. I'm out. My work here is done. <laughs> and then he vanished. <laughs> um, Eagle Heart is uh, comes back November 14th, and people should watch it. And then people should follow you on. Uh, are you on? You're on Twitter. You're on Twitter. No, not at all. <laughs> are you kidding me? No, I would think you would. You would oh my god. No, no. I. I. I, I don't, that's work. <laughs> like waking up and having to think of something funny. Every I don't, day. That's not my life. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fuck this. Yeah. Every tweet you just used to be going, ah, uh, fuck yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, Every day. Every morning. No, I, I, uh, my daughter, uh, uh, both daughters do it, and uh, Bridie, you know, uh, uh, has quite a following, actually. Bridie Lee at Bridie Lee. And, and uh, I'm always amazed. And I'm always saying to her, why are you giving that stuff away? You know, just, <laughs> just write it up, put it in a file, and then put it in one of your scripts one day, you know. And uh, I, I don't know. I think it's done great for both of them, though. You know, it does, and maybe it, it would, you know, revitalize my well, here flagging we go. career. Here goes the spiral. Do you have any water I can take these pills with? <laughs> oh, just scoop some coming out of your conjunctivitis. All right. <laughs> boop, boop, boop. Um, well, that's it, man. That was that was our that was our hour. I wish we could talk for three more hours. That was just an hour. <laughs> I seriously thought like the Cine family thing was about to start <laughs> at eleven tonight. Today. Comedy as an orchestra. I gotta get going. All right. I'll see you too. I'm gonna go do a voice on Adventure Time. What the shit? There you go. See, you're still in the shit. Did someone say I wasn't? Did someone say I wasn't in the shit? Well, the internet says a lot of things. Joe, you don't have to listen to all of them. What's happening? Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients. Popcorn sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.